Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we return to the listener library for a suggestion from our mysterious listener, Tim. Not to be confused with Tim, our mysterious host. Listener Tim writes, Can I make a suggestion for a future episode? Favorite story was hosted by Ronald Coleman and did half-hour adaptations of stories recommended by various celebrities. The February 12, 1947 episode, recommended by comedian Fred Allen, is Frankenstein. I think it would be a fun choice for your podcast. Favorite story originated on radio station KFI in Los Angeles and was nationally syndicated by the Ziv Company from 1946 to 1949. Each half-hour episode adapted a work of classic literature, ostensibly chosen by a celebrity. In reality, celebrities' choices were limited to a predetermined list of favorite stories, and even then, celebrities weren't always matched up with the story they actually selected. In the mid-1940s, programs that were pre-recorded or transcribed were beginning to gain popularity. Ronald Coleman's presence as host and occasional performer gave the show a level of star power that was rare for transcription shows of the time. In addition to Coleman, the program attracted a who's who of radio talent, including guest appearances by Hans Conried, Howard Duff, William Conrad, and Raymond Burr. Frankenstein, or The Modern Prometheus, was originally published January 1st, 1817. Mary Shelley conceived the story on a rainy afternoon in Geneva, where she was staying with her husband, the poet Percy Shelley, and their mutual friends, Lord Byron and John William Polidori. As the story goes, they all agreed to write a gothic ghost story, but, to the surprise of nobody, the men immediately forgot their promise and presumably spent the rest of the night drinking port and complimenting each other's smoking jackets. <laughs> Meanwhile, 19-year-old Mary Shelley wrote a 280-page novel that reinvented the horror genre while simultaneously inventing a completely new one, science fiction. There are many fine radio versions of Frankenstein, including a 1931 episode of The Witch's Tale and a 1932 Australian adaptation serialized in 13 epic parts. Unlike the iconic James Whale film, radio writers often adhered closely to Shelley's novel, portraying the monster as literate and well-spoken, a characterization better suited to audio than Boris Karloff's monosyllabic grunts. Today's favorite story adaptation aims for a middle ground between Karloff's interpretation and Shelley's original, focusing almost exclusively on the monster's relentless persecution of Victor Frankenstein. And now let's listen to Frankenstein from Favorite Story, originally broadcast February 12th, 1947. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from your speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. During the next half hour, we have only one intention. To frighten you out of your wits. For this week's favorite story is probably the most startling tale of horror ever dreamed on this planet. And strangely enough, it was written by a woman, the wife of one of the greatest poets of our language. Yes, before the minute hand of your watch completes its next half circle, you're coming face to face with Frankenstein's monster. 
If you enjoy feeling your blood pressure rise, your pulse quicken, you'll certainly enjoy Mary Shelley's ghastly adventure of Dr. Frankenstein. And would you like to know who picked Frankenstein as his favorite story? Uh, no. No, it wasn't Boris Karloff or Bella Lugosi. Oh, it's a man who has given you thousands of laughs over your radio. Mr. Fred Allen. We were a little surprised when Fred told us that Frankenstein was his favorite story. But he explained that he loves to be horrified when he listens to the radio. And that's why he, uh, that's why he never misses the Jack Benny programs. Well, are all of you ready to have your spines chilled? Then here's the first act of Frankenstein. for an old friend. I should not have come here. Oh, no. No, don't go. Don't leave me. Am I so disgusting to you, Clerval? You have changed, Victor. Victor. What a mockery my own name is. Victor Frankenstein. I should change it, my friend. <laughs> to vanquished. Vanquished Frankenstein. Good name for me, eh, Gregor? Eh? Oh, it was not like this when we were at the university together, remember? At Ingolstadt. I remember. We were roommates. Good friends. We used to play backgammon together. I used to win. I wonder if I could still beat you at backgammon, Clever. I have a board here and entertainment. In the sanity picture. This is what you called me here for. Urgent business. It's a matter of life or death. A game of backgammon. Don't leave me, Clerval. I'm afraid to be alone. One game, for old times' sake. The old times have run out, Frankenstein. One game, I beseech you. Give me the dice. Like old times. When we were young. When we could... <laughs> Why must I have the luckiest man in the university as a roommate? It's not luck, my friend, it's fate. A conviction, Clerval, that no matter what the odds are against you, you can overcome them. You don't believe in the law of chance and average? I believe in the law of myself, the power of the human brain. Now, oh, you're high. Take the dice. Look at them, Clerval. The dice. What do you suppose they're made from? I don't know. Bone, perhaps? Once these were part of a living being. Strange, isn't it? What happens when a creature dies? Well, that's what we're here studying medicine for, Victor postpone death as long as possible. 
I wonder if there's another way, Clerval. I've been reading some of the ancient medical authorities like Albertus Magnus. Ah, witch doctor. Oh, no, no. They didn't have our knowledge and our instruments, but they were intelligent men. Combine their ideas with what we know today, and the result may be a new way to defeat death. Come, come, picture. Are we are you going to play or not? Of course I'm going to play. What a fine way to study medicine. What? Elizabeth, what cloud did you drop from? Aunt Carolyn had to drive up to Ingolstadt for a few days, and she asked me to come with her. Elizabeth, darling, it's heavenly to see you again. When love walked in the door, back down, flies out the window. See you both later. Of course, Saval. Oh, my darling. How's everyone in Geneva? Uh, how's William? Your little brother is an absolute charmer. The most beautiful child in the whole city. I hope I can be home for his 10th birthday. Well, why not? You'll be graduated by then, dear. Just think. My victor will be Dr. Frankenstein. Elizabeth. I won't be coming home after my graduation. We'll have to postpone our wedding a few months longer, Elizabeth. There's something I must do first. There's something I must do first. Clerval, do you know what I did that summer after my graduation? I don't want to know. You're my only friend. You must listen. I went up into the mountains alone. I had stumbled onto a combining of ancient and modern theories which I breathed and was certain could create a living creature to become an obsession with me. I had to build with my own hands a human form and imbue life in it. chamber, I thought I heard a sound. 
my lap, too. Did I dream this, or did it really happen? The curtains around my bed were parted, and I saw the monster. Its yellow skin, its unblinking eyes, the dry, papery lips when I awoke in daylight, I laughed at what I thought had been a frightful dream. But at the door of my laboratory, I smelled the pungent ozone fumes which accompany a strong electric shock. To my horror, I realized that a near bolt of lightning during the night could have infused life into the monster, even as I had planned it in my controlled experiment. I flung open the laboratory door. My nightmare had happened. The monster was gone.
Who's that? Frankenstein. What's that? Do you not remember? Get away. Don't touch me. I will not harm you, Dr. Frankenstein. You murdered my brother. Yeah. It makes me feel good to kill that I can also destroy. Stand back, monster. You breathed your last breath. Bish Shelley, the British poet. I sometimes wonder what kind of married life they had together. Can you imagine Percy sitting at his work table of an evening writing, Hail to thee, blithe spirit, while Mary sat quietly at her desk, making monsters with her quill pen, and Percy looking up and saying, Darling, what rhymes with Ozymandias? And his wife replying, Don't interrupt me, dear, I'm right in the middle of a graveyard. Well, now, it's time we return to the black foothills of the Jura Mountains, where Dr. Victor Frankenstein is continuing his terrifying story to his friend Clerval. Here's Fred Allen's favorite story, Act Two.
engaged. Only a few weeks remained before we would have been married. I thought for the sake of her safety that I, I must do what the monster asked. So I climbed up to my dismal mountain laboratory where I had conducted the first experiment. I went into the workroom. And I set about the disgusting labor of creating another giant. A woman. But her task was half done. While the ghoulish torso lay incomplete on my work table... I paused to wonder, would the fiend keep its promise? Would the monster cease from murder and destruction? Or would I be turning two demons loose upon the world? Two creatures which could breed children as hideous as themselves. In a few generations, these monsters born of my hand could extinguish civilization on this planet. Perhaps wipe out the human race. I couldn't do this thing. I gathered together the poor pieces of my half-made creature, and I flung them from the ledge of a high cliff into a nearby lake. But as I did these things, I, I knew I was being watched. Somewhere in that forest of pine tree shadows... Somewhere among the moonless crags, I knew the two eyes were following my every movement. As I packed my few belongings for the trip back home to Geneva, back to my precious Elizabeth, back to the little wedding chapel where we would be made husband and wife, one terrible memory kept echoing through my mind. I day of my life, Victor. And by far the most important. We are married. Do you realize that, dearest? Actually married. I hope that all our days together will be as happy as this one has been. Why shouldn't they be? What earthly thing could mar our happiness? Oh, Elizabeth, if you knew, if you only knew. Victor, what's the matter? Light a lamp, dear, quickly. It's almost dark here. We must have light. Afraid of the night, my sweet? Desperately afraid of this night. Elizabeth, until the sun rises again, you must not leave my sight. There's great danger, darling. Oh, Victor, you're overwrought. I must not leave you alone, not for a single instant. Is the new bride to have no privacy, then? Oh, come, Victor, kiss me farewell. No. For five minutes only. We've not even unpacked our bags. I must have time to arrange my box. Elizabeth, don't go, darling, don't. For five minutes only.
blame yourself, Dr. Frankenstein. You had nothing to do with this ghastly murder. I did. What? I'm to blame. I created my wife's murderer. Doctor. You're a magistrate. Police officer. Arrest me. Take me to prison where I belong. Doctor, I can understand your emotional distress, but we know this dreadful night's happenings are no fault of yours. How do you know? Hear me, sir. Hear my confession. I have created a monster. Filled it with my own hands. Imbued it with life. But this demon I created has no soul. It devotes itself to one fiendish purpose. To destroy all things that I love and which love me. Sir, send your policemen out in full force to scour the mountainside for this monster. It must be found. It must be found! Poor fellow, he's out of his head to breathe. You think I'm raving? I was never more sane in my life, sir. I tell you, I tell you, I've created an indestructible monster. Doctor, you must rest. Rest and sleep will make you feel better. You poor fools. You think I am mad. You. You are the mad I had faith in my young days that I would win. Now I have faith that I've already lost. Roll the dice, Victor. Get this over with. It's a long walk back to the city, and I want to get home while there's still moonlight. Wait. Wait. Is it possible? Oh, no, no. No, it's not possible. I, I thought for a moment about it. Dice moved in my hand. Moved? Of their own accord? They are made from bone, these dice. They were once living tissue and a living creature. I've made dead things live again. Victor, this is insane. You should submit yourself to qualified medical care. This monster you speak of, it's... It's nothing but a wild dream in your sick imagination. These unfortunate deaths close to you have warped your brain. Your monster does not exist at all. Now, get a grip on yourself, man. You never created such a creature. There is no such monster on the face of the earth. Look behind you. Great God.
innocent. Uh, now empty your crime soul. Uh, Will you destroy everything in my life? Everything but your life. It's go away. I go now, but I will be with you, Frankenstein. You are in my power forever. creatures within sound of my voice. Remember what I say. I warn you. The monster I created is still at liberty, roaming the dark places of the night. Beware of him, for with one silent stroke of his finger, he can crush out your life. Of all things, do not speak my name. The sound of the syllables Frankenstein makes the anger rise in the monster's brain. If you would say by name, he may think you a friend of Frankenstein. His hairy hands will close about your throat as they did at that with little William and Elizabeth. Poor Clavel. I beg you, beware of the monster lurking in the shadows. God wills it. Speak one prayer for the most wretched, lonely man who has ever walked this planet. Victor Frankenstein. Fred Allen's favorite story. Sorry we couldn't arrange a happy ending, but that's the note on which Mary Shelley leaves us in her adventure of Frankenstein. We hope you've enjoyed this tale of fear. And we hope you'll plan to be with us next week when we bring you a favorite story as different from Frankenstein as day from night. That was Frankenstein from Favorite Story here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was a listener request coming to us from listener, mysterious listener, Tim. Uh, Thank you so much, Tim, for uh, listening and sending in a request. And let's break it down, fellas. I'm going to throw this out there to start this. This story's been done so much Mm -hmm. that it is up against it when it comes to not only us, but anybody. Okay, is this going to be anything new? Is it going to be anything different? How are you going to hold my attention? I know this story inside, outside, upside down. And even though I found this to be well done, uh, it certainly wasn't groundbreaking or new in any way, shape, or form for me. I love this version. It's my favorite uh, <laughs> Frankenstein I didn't say that. Let me clarify. I didn't say I didn't like it. I just said, yeah. That's pretty much the story, isn't it? I think what is interesting about this story is what it wisely strips away. It is the first Frankenstein radio adaptation that does not bite off more than it can chew. I'll give you that. 
I, I will argue it's... that the Dracula by uh, Orson Welles. Orson Welles bit off a lot more than it could chew. It tried to cram a lot more in there than it probably should have. I would argue with you, but listeners can just go back and listen to our podcast about Dracula. <laughs> but yeah, I think it not only is smart about what it leaves out, it's very smart about what it decides to keep in as a piece of horror radio. Right. I did enjoy it. There's no doubt about it. I thought it was a really well done adaptation. I thought they got to the point. I think there was a little too much backgammon. But other than that... There's never uh, enough backgammon (laughs) for me. There's a lot of backgammon. I really liked it. I made a lot of smart choices. The backgammon... Man, they shake those dice hard. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine the director. Can we take that again? Just shake those dice harder. (laughs) In particular, what I think helped make this more of a horror story than a monster story, which I liked, was by having that opening structure with Clerval where you get to see Frankenstein in his sort of ruined, I'm crazy state mm-hmm. through the eyes of Clairval, someone who cares about him but can see what a wreck he is. So you, you have a little bit of an emotional roadmap to understand what's going on from the get-go. Absolutely. I also will say that there was moments that really came to life that I thought were extremely well done for radio. Oh, I see what I just did. Well, I let the (laughs) taking a bite out of the Dracula episode go. Oh, wow. I did that one, too. Yes. That's two. Thank you. You let them both go. That one, though, you didn't let go. Your eyes got so big when I said, bring to life. Uh, What was I saying? Bring to life. (laughs) (laughs) The scene where he does finally kill his friend is gruesome and uh, great to listen to from that. I think that was well done. And so let me restate that I do <laughs> like this, but it is up I against it. I love hearing it. people die. It's- <laughs> right. It's hard to listen to something you absolutely know this well and to stay focused. I, I honestly, when I heard you describing what it was up against, I thought your end comment was going to be, and this held my attention. Because I agree with you 100%. It, yeah, we've heard right. this again and again. And, and that's what I think is, for me, why it works so well as I was hooked. Yeah. It's also pushes some of my personal buttons uh, about the Frankenstein story and other adaptations where I feel like in the 20th century, people have leaned more toward wanting to interpret just the sympathetic sides of the monster. And often they cut out a lot of the murders Mm -hmm. um, that Frankenstein does. And this is interesting because it's like it cuts out most of the sympathy and just reduces the story down to the copious number of murders uh, (laughs) from the book. He kills Mm -hmm. his brother, his fiance, his best friend. And this idea of just a vengeful monster and the tweak at the end feels just perfect for horror radio where it's Frankenstein warning you that he's out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that they didn't put a final button on the story. Right. That he's, he's just being relentlessly pursued for the rest of his life and can never m- make friends for fear of Frankenstein just stepping in and going, excuse me, breakneck. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that way it leaves the door open to, you know. Frankenstein 2. Frankenstein 2. <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we just dated this podcast. <laughs> that was not stand the test of time. <laughs> I loved the scene. And I, wow, I, I'm falling into the same trap. I loved the scene where his wife died. I could listen to that over and over again. Um, but that quick and so familiar, like, just give me five minutes. Five minutes myself. I'll be right back out. And then a nice long chunk of silence. And then it, it was long enough to go, like, what happened? What's happening? And then the scream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That I 100% knew it was going to happen. He's going to kill her, but it still sucked me in. 
and Frankenstein did warn him, or Frankenstein's monster warned Frankenstein. So there's, he's really guilty at that point. Yeah. But he, I think they also set up good reasoning as to why he wouldn't make yes. the monster a companion, particularly in this version of the story, because we don't see any sad or sympathetic side to the monster. So there's really no reason to give him another monster here. <laughs> yeah, that moment. In, in the original, you're like, oh, come on, please do this for this poor, wretched creature. Yeah, he does a great version of putting on the Ritz. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you help him out? Can we go to the favorite story about the show? Mm-hmm. Really weird structure. I'm not really in love with the opening and stuff. Plus, that was a <laughs> a terribly unnecessary shot at Jack Benny. Just that came out of left field. That's their famous rivalry. I know. Okay. But it's- <laughs> Eric is just confusing me because I I become convinced I can predict what he's going to think of every episode. In the last couple of weeks, he's totally thrown me, and which I like. Some spices come back into our relationship. <laughs> I might just be growing up, Joshua, and learning from you. I will say this: that we're. I'm going to go back one, two, three, four, five. This is a fifth episode in a row that I've thoroughly enjoyed. That's five in a row where I haven't gone, oh, my God, how do I get through this? I'm going to fake like I listen to the whole thing. <laughs> there was nothing about this that made me go, oh, this is terrible. It's, it's really, really good. But my mind can drift and I don't have to go, oh, I have to go back. Right, that's where we are. I will tell you what I hated in this episode. What I hated. <laughs> wow, this is a lot of emotion for Tim, guys. Yeah. He's that usually a pretty balanced human. interstitial comedy bit about Percy Shelley talking to his wife and the, uh, the funny, hey, you got a rhyme for Ozymandias, yes. and I, I'm in the middle of a graveyard. Stop <laughs> it! Stop it! <laughs> Just finish the story! <laughs> I... Uh... I totally get why you hated it, but I laughed so hard. Not, I don't think the way they intended it, because it's Ronald Coleman. You got paid way too much money to do this. <laughs> and the very unnecessary dig at Mary Shelley at the top, who is like oh, one yeah. of the greatest horror stories ever. And, and uh, it was a woman. Huh? And then... He doesn't even say her name at that point. He just calls her the wife of one of the greatest poets of our language. Yeah. It's like, are they not even going to say her name? Yeah. It's pretty uh, misogynistic. I I would say so, but it is so over the top that I I still had to laugh at it. (laughs) Oh, I got so mad. (laughs) You're still mad. I'm still mad. Shut up, Ronald Coleman. Get to the story. That's not how couples write together. (laughs) The prefect of police, I found amazing that Donald Sutherland was alive back then. (laughs) I was so thrown when he came in and I went, how is Donald Sutherland in this? That voice is dead on. Uh, Nobody else? I did not catch that. Not at all. But what I did catch is... And he says, Officer, may I borrow a gun from you? (laughs) This is a policeman, not a gun librarian. Oh, yeah, sure. I get it. Yeah, right? That's a weird, weird, weird moment. Uh, I mean, I guess it's it's supposed to be a different time, a different place, but also as if it's less suspicious, he goes, Only for an hour. (laughs) I'll bring back most of the bullets. There's also. I it makes me wonder though if 
it, we're supposed to understand that was common for that time or that was common for the 40s. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> either or. Officer, could I just borrow your gun? Yep. <laughs> well, it could probably be arranged. I don't know. Do you pay taxes? <laughs> then it's your gun, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> uh, when he opens the curtain, to me, it was, I opened the curtains. The monster was at my bed, and it was Foster Brooks. <laughs> yep. There was that gag of, I will be at my wedding. Be at my wedding. At your, my wedding. <laughs> Can I ask a question? When we were trying to figure out a Frankenstein that we could do on stage a few years back, we didn't really settle on any of them. Mm-hmm. I had not heard this one. Why didn't we do this one? I think this works on stage really well. I yeah, never I heard, it either. heard of this. And this might have been why Tim suggested it. I think we might have mentioned on social media somewhere. I think this was a comment on a post where he left this recommendation. It so might have we, been related to that search. So if we had heard this, we would have done this. It's good. I, I, I think, I, think I would have considered doing yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, just checking. Because if... If you guys knew of this and didn't, I was going to be mad because this will work. This is a very good, really well written adaptation. I like it. Well, our listener Tim, who recommended this, has written some books on old time radio. Um, So uh, he wrote a book called "Radio by the Book: Adaptations of Literature and Fiction on the Airwaves." So if we're ever looking for an adaptation of something, (laughs) we should check with him because apparently he's written the book on it. Wow, what's he doing listening to this? You're not going to learn anything from us. You seem like the smart guy. I just sit here and go, I don't know. Who's Admiral Akbar? <laughs> like a Admiral Akbar callback in a Frankenstein episode. <laughs> so, any other thoughts on this, gentlemen? And yes, we should get that book, all yeah. of us. I really also liked the twist that Frankenstein was inadvertently brought to life too early, like he wasn't prepared. I thought that was an interesting idea, that maybe this wouldn't have gone this way if it had worked out the way he wanted it to. Premature Frankenstein. (laughs) He was only six pounds. (laughs) (laughs) It's a strong, interesting choice because if you're going to, I'm going to do a production of Frankenstein, I'm going to bring this story to life. The thing you think of is the creation scene, the Mm -hmm. laboratory, the lightning and the storm. That's what the Frankenstein, the people came and, Paid their tickets. They want to see that. Mm-hmm. And this skips it entirely, and I think it really helps. Yeah. There's where it subverts expectations really effectively. Yeah, they just get right to he's alive. But that's scary. He's alive. I fell back asleep. He's gone. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's more like a, a bad babysitting scenario. <laughs> it's like you go and check on him. Ah, the monster's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Tell the monster's parents when they get up. Mrs. Johnson, I just fell asleep for five. Minutes. Your monster is alive, and I've lost him. <laughs> All right, let's put it to a vote. Uh, Joshua, you get to go first. Oh, good. I think this very much stands the test of time. I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed it. I'm not sure I would call it a classic. Uh, again, mainly because of what Eric said at the top. It's really hard to do something really groundbreaking with this story because it's mm-hmm. just part of our cultural fabric, uh, right? We all know it. But I think this does an amazing job meeting and subverting expectations. So this definitely stands the test of time. Just to speed this up, rewind and play what Joshua said and then put my name in front of it. That is exactly how I feel about it. I would call it a classic for the exact same reasons of it's so hard to create an adaptation of Frankenstein that engages you more than just on a nostalgic level. 
that I think this is an outstanding adaptation of something that is very hard to adapt. So I would call it a classic for those reasons. Nice. I might just rewind and say what Tim said and leave you with what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then I'm just going to say what I said two weeks ago about something else. I don't know. Now I'm confused. All right, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. You'll find other episodes of the podcast there. You can also find information about our live shows, as well as links to our social media pages if you want to like us or poke us or wave at us. I don't know what you can do anymore. Just if you like us, pass us a note in class. (laughs) Yes, please. Uh, You can also comment on episodes, which is great because we love to hear what you think, as well as your responses to other people who said what they think. Yeah, and please uh, send your recommendations. Uh, It's really fun to hear these episodes that we never would have found, like this Frankenstein one. So thank you, Tim. Um, Also, you can go to patreon.com slash themorals and support this podcast at whatever level suits you. You can also go to iTunes and write a review because we like those too. And why don't you uh, give out Tim's book again? It is Radio by the Book, Adaptations of Literature and Fiction on the Airwaves. Get it anywhere? Amazon.com. There you go. What isn't at Amazon? Yeah, he's in a parking lot somewhere with copies of the book (laughs) in his car probably too. If he's an entrepreneur, (laughs) that's what he's doing. He also has some watches if he wants some watches. (laughs) Next time, it's Joshua's pick, and we'll be listening to The Cave of Night from X-1. Until then... Look out! Darling, what rhymes with Ozymandias? And his wife replying, oh, Don't interrupt me, dear. I'm right in the middle of a graveyard. Stop it! <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> Just finish the story! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>